the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for, my goodness, since March now, when I first had a chance to uh, visit with our guest tonight. And let me just say this as opening remarks. Our conversation tonight is apropos for pastors, assistant pastors, those that are going into the ministry, those that are contemplating retiring from the ministry, those that are involved in pulpit searches, those that are on pulpit committees, those that are in the pews, and let me just break it down, for everybody. Now... Let me be clear about this. For those of you that are engaged in ministry of one sort or another, when you went off to university or to seminary, uh, they probably handed you a bunch of books. And you read books by Haddon Robinson and Martin Lloyd-Jones and C.S. Spurgeon, and you studied Greek and Hebrew and George Whitefeld and Dwight L. Moody, and the list goes on and on as you were being prepared for your ministry. And, And many of these great authors help instill insight and understanding in how to start a ministry, how to grow a ministry. But the one thing that all of these authors have in common, not a one teaches you how to end a ministry. How do you finish strong? How do you finish honorably in God's eyes? This, in fact, is a topic that ought to be a part of every single instructional course for anyone contemplating going into the ministry. And as much as uh, certainly in many denominations, Haddon Robinson, Lloyd-Jones, and the rest are mandatory reading, I want to add one more book to the list by someone you might not know of until today. He is Dr. Timothy Hawkins, who joins us today in studio to talk about this important issue. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting as we, we look at the topic today. There's books, as I indicate, on how to start a church, how to grow a church, how to merge a church, how to split a church, and uh, <laughs> certain denominations, at least that's true. Uh, but uh, there are few, if any, on how to transition a church leadership transition from one pastor retiring or called perhaps to a new work to the next pastor. Often it becomes a botched, poorly timed, poorly planned transition that leads to an empty pulpit. Today we talk about that issue of the empty pulpit and how to address it. Dr. Timothy Hawkins is senior pastor at Bible Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church in the city of Oakland. You frequently hear his commentaries right here on KFAX. His latest book, entitled The Empty Pulpit, Shifting Leadership for Greatness. Dr. Hawkins, great to see you again. Oh, Greg, thank you for having me on the show. I am excited about talking about this book because this subject is something that I am passionate about. Um, I have uh, been pastoring now for 15 years, uh, Bible Fellowship, great church, and I had the privilege to um, have my predecessor, around for a couple of years prior to taking the helm. Uh, And I tell you, it was wonderful. I wish I would have had a little more time. As a matter of fact, a lot of the things that he shared with me about the ministry, um, at the time I was extremely naive, um, didn't have any pastoral experience at the time, and uh, I heard it, but, you know, I kind of let it go in one ear come out the other um, until later on, about five years in, it all start clicking uh, as to how important um, to have uh, a, a nice smooth transition or a transition uh, for any congregation. Uh, my predecessor had been there for 33 years. Okay, that's a long time. As a matter of fact, Bible Fellowship, the ministry, is 71 years old. I am the third pastor. And so that goes to show you how long those pastors served. Um, but here it is. Uh, when I came in uh, to uh, the pastorate, 
uh, prior to, um, uh, you know, literally, you know, uh, taking the helm as a pastor. I was associate minister. I've been preaching for years, uh, going from church to church. Um, never did any uh, interim work. However, I had an opportunity to do it a couple times. But each time I kind of turned it down because I didn't think I had the experience uh, to even serve it in that, in that capacity. However, when I was invited to come to Bible Fellowship, uh, it was not even on my radar that I would be pastoring the church. Uh, as a matter of fact, I came simply to help uh, my predecessor. He asked me to come preach for him. I came one Sunday. I preached. I uh, got a call back um, for another Sunday. Uh, the following week, I came preached that Sunday. And this kept happening over and over again until it racked up to about six months worth, worth of preaching like that. And finally, he asked me, look, I really need your help. If you come over here, kind of, you know, help me out. Uh, I was at a church, uh, assistant Sunday school teacher, kind of enjoying it, you know, uh, preach every now and then. But the situation was uh, when he asked me to help him, I tried to come up with an excuse. I said, well, uh, I'm busy at at my other church. Uh, But he said, uh, well, uh, I've already talked to your pastor. (laughs) And uh, so I go back and I talk to my pastor. And my pastor pretty much had already – just to, just just kind of booted me out. And I'm like, well, did I do something wrong? And he says, no, um, it's not that you did anything wrong. It's that you did something right. You didn't mind uh, serving w- in whatever capacity. And so I went over to this little church at the time, Bible Fellowship. And uh, as it turns out, um, my predecessor fell ill, was hospitalized, and um, was in a hospital for quite some time. The interesting thing was he left instructions for me. Here it was. Don't come visit me. Just keep doing what you've been doing for the past uh, six months. Hmm. And uh, that lasted for about two months. And one day um, he walks into the study. I would never sit behind his desk. I would always sit on his couch. And he walks in his study. I'm just glad to see him. The words that rolled off of his mouth is this. 33 years. I'm retiring. You are my successor. I didn't know you could faint sitting down. <laughs> but you figured out. A I way. tell you, I I mean, my whole world just was just I mean, just just shifted at at that point. I had a full time job. I worked at a, a at a, a hospital as a surgical technologist. I was comfortable, extremely comfortable. But the reality was, God had a plan. He didn't let me in on it until it was time. Okay, now here's here's the point I give you. reason I'm so passionate about the subject is because the one that had vision for his successor uh, was my predecessor. Mm -hmm. He had the vision. And and another interesting thing was, here I am, I I was clueless. (laughs) I did not know. But God had had revealed it uh, uh, to that pastor. And that pastor sounded it down to me at the right time. And, and clearly, as you indicate, God had a plan. Yeah. But the bigger lesson here for everyone in pulpit ministry is that he wants us to have a plan, too. Yes. And as I suggested in my opening remarks, we focus so much on how to get started, how to run well. Seldom do we ever talk about how to finish well. Yes. And, and you talk about this in the book, that this was a transition that was very intentional. Yes. It may not be unique, but it was an intentional transition. Oh, yes. And sadly, far often, more often than not, when there is a transition, it's more accidental or incidental. It's not part of a of a targeted, specific plan. And we almost look at the changing of leadership in the pulpit like uh, we're firing one boss and hiring a new one the next day. Right. You know, everybody knows the company will go on. There might be a couple of hirings and a few firings. But for the most part, we just, you know, we like our jobs and we keep showing up to work even though there's a different name on the boss's door from Friday to the next Monday. But it's very different when you're talking about pastoral ministry because the responsibility and relationships that the pastor has with this congregation, and especially those that have been in the pulpit for 10, 20, 30 years, those kinds of relationships don't easily get broken. And when you try to make that sudden transition because pastor falls ill and there's never been any planning ahead of time or pastor decides that's it, he's retiring, and suddenly now the church has to come up with a pulpit committee and there's an 
interim pastor in place, and we've seen cases where interim goes on for three, four, five years. How about 13 years? 13 years. Wow. And meanwhile, the core of that ministry really begins to suffer. Yes. And because there's a lack of leadership in the pulpit, the people in the pews begin to really suffer, too. I call it an erosion Hmm. is what happens to it. Um, There is a chapter in the book that I deal with the role of the interim pastor because it's a very sensitive um, time for the church. Um, It is a position uh, where that minister that comes in, there's certain do's, but there's also a few don'ts. Um, And I mentioned those things in the book. I'll give you one of them. Uh, One of them is that the the, the interim pastor, I know it would be quite natural to feel as if that person should counsel um, people for premarital counseling and they should teach all the time. Actually, I say that's a no-no. That that interim pastor should focus on a a few things. One, making sure that there is consistent uh, preaching on Sunday, whether they do it or they may help help to make sure it's done, okay? But for them to do all of the teaching, for them to do the counseling, what happens with that is they will start getting ingrained in the hearts of the people and make them think that they are the pastor. Um, and so a lot of churches go quite a number of years with this person in place because it's convenient, it's comfortable. Well, and let's face it, as you talk about in the book, sometimes it's also an opportunity for uh, whoever's in charge of the finances of the church to look at this and say, hey, oh, it's convenient. we're not paying a pastor's salary anymore. We're going to give brother so-and-so an honorarium That's of 50 it. bucks and free lunch. Look at how much money we're saving. That's right. So they use it as a time to raise funds. Um, and then also at the same time, there is a buildup of distrust among the leadership uh, for the congregation looking at the leadership, they don't really trust them. There's a vacuum there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's easily seen. Uh, And uh, uh, another thing is sometimes they try to uh, set up a preacher lineup uh, to get in some, you know, some really good preachers to come in to kind of dazzle you on a Sunday morning. And it gives you a false sense that the church is doing well. But here's the analogy I give. When you have... Um, preachers just coming through to kind of hold it uh, until a pastor comes in. This is it's, 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 it's equivalent to asking a neighbor, uh, uh, wait, I'm about to go out of town. I'm going on a little trip, and I want you to take care of my child. Well, here it is. They're still going to feed them. They probably will make sure they're, they're, they're clean and stay out of trouble and, of sorts, but not like the parent. Okay? And so the reality is you might have that person in place as a figurehead, but that pulpit is still empty. And um, so this is why it is a, uh, a subject that needs to be addressed. And that empty pulpit during that transitional time, and, you know, I, I know exactly what you're speaking of. I mean, as kids, you know, uh, our parents might go out of town. Maybe they're going to go celebrate an anniversary or something. And so they're going to leave the kids with aunt so-and-so we know, or grandma, even oh, better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we know it's going to be a time to get in trouble oh, yes, and get away with murder because, you know, <laughs> grandma, she's loving and doting and all of that. And she's yes. going to let you do things that mom and dad otherwise would not yes, allow right. you to do. And, 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 and it speaks perhaps, too, to a broader issue that I want to dive into deeper after the break, and that is this, that it's a reflection on the nature and caliber of the congregation and, and descriptive, perhaps, of whether it is a community of believers rallied around a vision, common goals, or rather just a bunch of pew groupies following a pulpit personality, and when the personality leaves, all of a sudden the church begins to fall apart because it really isn't a community the way God ordained it to be. There you go. Let's talk more about this. Our conversation today, Pastor Dr. Timothy Hawkins in studio, a look at the empty pulpit, shifting leadership for greatness. We'll come back to more of our visit as Lifeline continues. 519 on the clock. Let's step aside and get you updated on traffic. Michael Bennett's got the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. I was just mentioning off the air to Dr. Hawkins that over the course of uh, almost 30 years that Lifeline has been here on KFAX and the tens of thousands of books and authors and topics and issues that we have addressed from apples to nuts to soup and orange juice and everything else, the one topic that we've never dealt with is the one we're discussing today. And that is how do you plan, how do you execute an intentional transition from one pastor to another pastor, 
How, if that pastor is actually retiring, do you provide a place for that individual to still feel needed, to still be engaged in service while not being problematic for the new pastor who is trying to establish his own identity, his authority as the new shepherd of the congregation. There are so many layers of complexity involved in all of this. And I guess the one thing that I concluded in reading your book, The Empty Pulpit, that even to the degree we were talking before the break about the interim pastor, interim ought to be only if we were unable to plan a proper and appropriate transition because a pastor died suddenly or, or some yes. ex- sense of extru- uh, you know, excruciating circumstances that did not allow the proper transition, the, the passing of the baton, as you speak of in the book. Yes. Uh, and yet, sadly, most churches do, in fact, go through that. Mm-hmm. One pastor announces he's leaving or we decide to kick him out because we don't like the way he preaches, whatever the case might be. He gets better offer, more money across the street. And now we've got the interim pastor going on. Right. And we're expecting this pulpit committee of individuals that are typically not of full-time ministry background, Mm -hmm. who sometimes may be as helpful as they are hurtful and harmful. That's right. And all of a sudden, the the group of, and I'm I'm going to use the term here, and and, and I apologize in advance if it seems to be insulting, it's partially intended, uh, but a group of neophytes. (laughs) that are coming in on the pulpit committee who's going to decide who the next leader will be, almost as if they're helping to appoint someone. And, And sadly, that can take on so many dynamics that are of flesh in nature and political in nature that oftentimes have nothing to do with the vision for the church, God's agenda, biblical stewardship, or or just wanting to honor the fashion in which Christ wants to be honored in that transition from one leader to another. I totally agree. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I mentioned is that um, when I'm doing a workshop uh, segment of this, that we are to lead to leave. And so, that therefore, as a pastor, we can't look at the congregation or the church that it belongs to us. It doesn't. It belongs to Christ. It's his church. And yet there's as you demonstrated in your own experience, a tremendous amount of stewardship yes. in helping transition from the exiting pastor to the entering pastor, it, it, not least of which is because there's so many layers of complexity. I, I made up a list here, <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, every pastor listening to this conversation will, will certainly perhaps resonate with this. So oftentimes, pastors not, you know, you might officially wear the title of pastor, but your job duties entail being spiritual leader, pastor, teacher, counselor, executive, administrator, fundraiser, committee chair, music leader, Bible study leader, janitor, electrician, carpenter, and plumber. All of that. And and, so. and, and I probably have left <laughs> 10 things off the and list because so. guys are listening to saying, oh, wait a minute, you forgot this and you forgot oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And so with all of that, to, to take this almost lackadaisical approach to say, well, I'm leaving, and now there's no time, there's no serious attention, and yet it seems to me, as you're suggesting, this transition can often be a make-it-or-break-it transition oh, it is. for many congregations if this is not executed in a God-honoring fashion that really demonstrates the utmost degree of stewardship over that pulpit. Greg, when I was doing the research, because the book was birthed out of my dissertation, which was entitled... How to Establish and Maintain a Healthy Church During Pastoral Transition. I interviewed about 51 pastors across denominational lines. Um, And I interviewed pastors coming in, pastors going out. Um, And what I noticed is, uh, here's some common threads. Number one, the time for a pastor in a pastorate goes by extremely fast. I, I I can I vaguely remember year number one. Uh, I can tell you the first three years. I can tell you the, the first five. I can tell you that things changed at ten, and I can tell you it gets sweeter at fifteen. <laughs> okay, but it took me about as a pastor. It took about at least five or six of those years just for people in the congregation, although they had seen me for a couple of years, to to take me serious. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and then uh, you had a few that was wondering, could I be trusted? 
Okay. And then at about 10 years, I was finally I starting to identify the leadership team that would work with me. Okay. And then now at 15, get this, I'm starting all over again. Huh. Yeah. And so once you start establishing uh, the leadership team and it gets to flowing with the rhythm, guess what? You're probably at about 20 years. Okay. And so before you know it, that time has went by and and you're getting a little weary. Okay. And and you should be looking out for Joshua. Mm-hmm. And so in the book, I mentioned three to five years, three to five years um, for you to really exit. And so you should be looking for Joshua. Now, here's the interesting thing about Joshua. Because we're teaching vision, we're teaching that, that this church has an identity. God has a plan for this particular ministry, whatever ministry, whatever church you're part of, whatever church you're pastoring, pastor. God has a vision for that ministry. It has an identity. Um, so you can't be like anywhere else church across the street. You have to be the, the, the congregation, and you carry out the mission that God has for you. Okay, now we know the overall mission, that is to win souls to the kingdom. Uh, okay, now we, now we know that. But there's another thing that goes with it. There's some specific area that this, this church or whatever ministry is gifted in doing. It's a specific area. Uh, in lies what we call the vision for the ministry, Okay. Uh, the vision is bigger than that than the pastor who's pastoring at present. The vision is bigger than that person. It it it, it runs longer than that, person. and should transcend. Then y- yes, you know, I, I had a gentleman here in studio yesterday whose church in September will be celebrating one hundred years. Wow. He is the fifth pastor in one hundred years. Wow. And as we talked about what the church is doing today, it was interesting to note that the thread of that same theme, aside from the Great Commission, mm-hmm. the thread of that theme began when it was first planted as a little church work yes. a century ago and continues to this very day. Yes. And it has been that stewardship of each successing pastor, successive pastor, that's continued to allow that broader vision yes. to not only survive but to thrive, to be transitional from leadership to leadership. I'm, I'm is there that. a failure? Because this is going to sound like we're you know aiming strictly at the pastors, but is there a failure of also – Lay leadership in the church, the people in the pews, the people that are part of that community to really recognize how key the pastor is. And I ask that question, Dr. Hawkins, because sometimes the transition from one pastor to another is almost treated as if, well, we've just learned that our favorite movie star is retiring, so we've got to go find out who the next up-and-coming great star is going to be so we can start following them. And not giving real consideration to not just a man's ability as a leader, as a preacher, an exhorter of God's word, a Bible teacher, but relational skills, the people skills, the counseling skills, the capacity to to not only protect but to nurture that church's vision. There are so many layers. It's like the onion. You you pull back layer after layer after layer and realize that it's uh, so much more than just how well he dresses and how, how well he speaks and presents and how loud the applause is right. after the sermon on Sunday. And, but watch this. But we have to be honest about this. That person that many of the, the, congreg- the congress have now attached themselves to and they love and they trust, this happened over a number of years. It just didn't happen. That's right. And so, but oftentimes we look back and we just seem to forget about those years that this person had to uh, gain the, the, the trust, um, the funerals, the weddings, the counseling, all of those was, was built into that. Um, the trials, the struggles, you know, all that's built into that. And so what, what we have to understand is you don't leave a ministry because the pastor that you like left. Um, you leave a ministry and go to another ministry when God reassigns you. And the burden that that places, I mean, imagine people will say, well, they love pastor so-and-so because baptized our children, married our daughter. When mother died, pastor came out at 2 o'clock in the morning. The family celebrations, the times both good and bad that relate back to that person over the course of so many of our years of lives. And then 
He ends his tenure as pastor, and the next guy comes on. What a horrible disadvantage that man is that. He has none of that history. He has none of that support. Nobody goes back and says, well, gee, this guy was there. He pronounced us man and yeah, wife. Right, right. He works at a tremendous disadvantage, oh, yes. and even more so when there's no transitional period from the exiting pastor to the entering pastor. Watch this, though. Now, let me, let me, let me toss this, this verse in here. Remember in Psalms eighty four eleven where... It says that the Lord God uh, is a sun and a shield, and he will not withhold any good thing mm-hmm. for those who walk uprightly. Okay, now let's look at it. And let's see if we can apply this in this situation. It is God who knows uh, what I need as a member of a church. It is God who has, has sent me a pastor to, 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 to pastor me. Okay, um, and, it's, and it is the same God that when it is time for that pastor to move and do something different, He's the same God that's going to send another pastor to continue what he started. It's the same God. Well, we saw that even going back to uh, throughout the book of Acts, for example, in the early church. The apostles would come in, they would preach, they would reach, they would establish a church. Right. And after a season, say, okay, I'm headed off to the next town, but we have, we have this understudy that's right. that we have trained. Yeah. And so Paul has his Timothy, and yes. Timothy steps in and takes over the work. Yes. But it wasn't as if Timothy showed up today for Paul to say, okay, I'm on my way out the door. Right. He had had time to have the transition. transition. There was that relationship that had been built. Yes. What about Moses and Joshua? Oh, yes. Okay, because when Moses and Joshua, it was Moses who brought Joshua before the people. He literally endorsed Joshua. And here's the interesting thing. Um, Joshua was there all along. And when Moses first had his encounter with Joshua, he seen Joshua as one of the spies who went in. But later God revealed to him that Joshua would be his successor. You see my point? God has a plan. He lets us in on his plan when we are ready for it, when he sees that we're ready for it. And then we should then uh, not look at transition as is something that, oh, the ministry will never be the same. Oh, I'm going to miss Pastor Jones. Uh, uh, oh, I'm going to miss, you know, Pastor Smith. It doesn't mean uh, that this new pastor is going to be just like the former. But you got to understand that, that, that God knows exactly who you need when you need this individual. So what God is going to do, he's going to continue the vision through that successor. And this is why um, the predecessor has to have in mind, look, I'm leaving. I know it's going to come a point that I'm going to leave. I've been in 15 years, Greg. I'm looking for my Joshua, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and, I, and I've prayed, Lord, show me Joshua. And uh, I don't know when he's going to reveal it. But I've already done put that in the hands of God. Why? I, I, why not only did I, I pray that, but I told the congregation, understand that this pastor is one of the ones that want to walk out and don't want to be carried out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Or be kicked out. <laughs> yeah, or be kicked out. That's right. So, so yeah, definitely not that. Yeah. So, so, so the reality is uh, we have to stop acting as if we will always be able to pastor the church uh, all of our lives, and that it belongs to us. Um, uh, when I first came in, <laughs> this is funny. When I first came in, I used to stand up on a, a one of the little low walls and I'd get riled up and preach. And I'd stand up on a wall. Craig, I don't stand up on the wall anymore. We had the wall torn down. It's steps there now. I walk down the stairs. <laughs> okay. As you get older, you get wiser. You have to change the way you do things. Okay. And and I now I can remember when I did it. Uh, when I should stand on the walls. But that time went by so fast that I say, Lord, thank you that, uh, you know, we knew we had to change the way things were set up. I'm getting to the point here. In transition, in transitioning from one pastor to the next, um, is not only the pastor has to have the mindset or be in the mindset that I have to look out for Joshua, but the leadership have to be willing to work with Joshua. Mm-hmm. Because there needs to be an open uh, an openness to accept change. Yes. One of the worst things that can happen to a new preacher is to constantly be compared to the old guy. Oh and you know boy. what? Uh, over time, you forget the foibles and mistakes, and you suddenly romanticize, and suddenly Pastor So-and-so, no, never preached a bad sermon, <laughs> never preached a long sermon. He was just, it was like Jesus himself was here. Really? And the new guy doesn't stand the chance. Yeah, Craig, it was, I had, 
when I first came on board, there was members who talked about the previous pastor, how great this guy was, the organizing pastor, how great he was. And we had a um, we had a uh, a, a lady who was like a historian. She kind of kept records and bulletins and and so so one time she brought me a box and it had the minutes from prior business meetings from for years back and so I spent a couple evenings it was kind of like a week on and off I would go through just randomly pick out 1956 randomly pick out 1972 and I would start reading and I kept seeing the same names uh and and it was like the same thing they was going through the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again 56 72 and in the 80s and in the 90s. I came in 2002. So um, so I started doing my little homework, and I, I really got interested. And I kept saying, where well, so-and-so said this and said that, and they would have the audacity to stand and act like they was just great members and that pastor was great. And so uh, it, was, it, was, it was funny. I brought in some of the minutes from an old meeting, in one of the business meetings one time, and a person stood up like they always had been, always had been doing for years to the other guys. And, um, and I said, you know, uh, I used to take it personal, you know, when you would charge back at me in these meetings. But when I look at this, uh, these minutes, I see that this is what you've been mm-hmm. doing all the time. Or you find out that every time there has been a transition, the outgoing pastor got all the lack accolades. He was the best in the world, and Absolutely. the new guy was lousy. And then 20 years later, when he was leaving, he was the best in the That's world. Right. It's, and so the cycle continues. <laughs> yeah. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Dr. Timothy Hawkins. A look at the empty pulpit. This is a very unique book. And as I suggested, and not lightly at all, it ought to be required reading for every single pastor. You learn so much about how to establish a work, how to grow a work, how to uh, shepherd and uh, to provide stewardship over a work, but how to transition a work, um, how to begin that process of not just passing the baton, but actually the transference of the mantle of leadership yes. from one leader to the next so that that ministry not only survives but thrives. That's many of the keys that Dr. Hawkins is talking about inside this new book. Someday your pastor is going to transition. It may not be this week, this month, maybe not years from now, but the day will come. The question is, will it be an orderly, God-honoring transition or a disorganized disaster with interim people coming in and losing as many people in one door as they come out the other? The decision is ultimately that of the congregation and the pastor. We'll take a time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. All right, 541, we're a bit late, so let's get caught up on some traffic here to do so. Michael Bennett, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You might perhaps wonder, well, gee, during the commercial breaks, what exactly goes on? They get out and, you know, go get a cup of coffee or something. No, we just sit here and continue the conversation. And uh, in engaging in one it is with Dr. Timothy Hawkins, we're talking about his book, The Empty Pulpit, and we were mentioning off air um, the the other challenge that sometimes happens in a church, and that is a pastor comes in, he planted the church, he's led the church for 40, 50, 60 years, and now when when perhaps his health is starting to push him out, he decides he's going to ordain his older son and put his son in, chur- in charge of the church, not necessarily because he's looking to, to further the legacy of the ministry, but rather create a dynasty. And I want to be cautious here because I know that there have been some cases where that sort of dynastic approach to ministry has worked. But you were mentioning off the air, Dr. Hawkins, it's very rare. It's very rare. As a matter of fact, um, there's more cases where um, when you see this happens, um, you got to understand that when there is children who watch their uh, father, uh, their parents in ministry for quite a number of years, and watch the struggle of ministry, um, sometime the sacrifices that it take in ministry. Uh, it was seen that because this person is a part of the family, um, they might look and sound like uh, the pastor that everybody is used to. They're not always the best candidate to continue that uh, ministry. And, and there's a few reasons why. Sometimes they come into it with a bitterness or sometimes they come into it with even a bias. And so you have to really be careful 
uh, with that. It has to be, and I'm not saying it, 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 it can never work because I've seen in rare cases where it, it has. But I also would, would caution, warn that we shouldn't do it because uh, as a pastor, I have three sons and I have two sons who were ministers too. Uh, one pastors in in, uh, in uh, Goodyear, Arizona. The other one is a co-pastor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, and both of them worked with me in ministry at, at some point. But I kept telling them the same thing. I said, just because dad is pastoring this church, you don't automatically fall in line mm-hmm. to continue in this ministry. And sometimes that can be challenging, too, that even when everything comes together and the congregation's in agreement and there are all the indicators that this is really within the will of God, mm-hmm. the challenge that the pastor faces is living under the shadow yes. of a great man oh, yeah. and and having that feeling of inadequacy because at the end of the day, you're not your father. And uh, there, there's a friend of mine, in fact, that uh, uh, at one point I said, you know, now is the opportunity as you have honored your father and done the right thing and there has been a smooth god honoring god honoring orderly transition yes. from his leadership now to your leadership to uh not shed the mantle but to recognize that you also need to be your own man, God's right. own man, yes. and that there will be things that you will do that will be very reminiscent of dad, yes. and there will be things that you will do that are nothing like nothing your father, like. and that's okay. Right. You know, it's, it's the same is true um, when there's a, a, a new pastor coming in. The leadership style might be a little different. Um, and you would expect that, wouldn't oh, yeah. you? I, I oh, had, yeah. a, I had a, a manager years ago that would say to me, I can't stand it when you go on vacation. I said, why is that? He said, because when I listen to the talk show, it's not the same. I said, well, of course it's not the no, same. No, I'm not there. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to exactly duplicate no. my personality. No. If you told me it sounds exactly the same, then I would say, well, you've probably met your new host. That's right. He probably worked <laughs> for less money, whatever. Uh, so, you know, there, there I think needs to be some a practical understanding to all of this in terms of the fact that there will be different leadership styles, different teaching styles, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. As a matter of fact, I believe that you know, God does that, and, and that's a part of growth. That's a part of growth. Um, uh, they have a condition that they used to call, it was, it's still called, it's called Osgood Slothers. My son was a was an athlete. He played football, and he would always complain about his, his knee painting. He said, Dad, my, you know, my, my, my knee is hurting. And I would look at his knee, and sometimes it would be swollen. Finally, we took him to a, a doctor, and the doctor said, well, he has this condition called Osgood Slothers. I didn't know what it meant. Well, it simply meant that the bone uh, was growing, but the growth plate had to catch up. So it's like a, a, a cartilage um, that was on his tibia that needed to catch up. And, uh, and, and as it turns out, I said, well, how, do, how, how did that catch up? He said it just needs to be immobilized. He put him in a cast for six weeks. And once he was immobilized for six weeks, it gave the cartilage a chance to catch up, took the cast off. He was fine. No more complaint with it. Well, sometime, um, you know, we want to kind of sound like my little broadcast. Sometime we want to move around, but then God says, no, I need to mobilize you just for a minute so you could catch up. So mm-hmm. a part can catch up, you know, and too often um, we are impatient. And sometimes we make a move like um, grab somebody to be a predecessor that God is not choosing to be the predecessor because we just want to keep moving, you know, Um uh, we don't want to wait. We're, we, you know, we can become so impatient. Oh, this is an impatient society. I mean, people oh, stand yeah. at the microwave and say, "Come on, boil, boil, Come boil." On. Yeah, and the drive through. It's been a whole minute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, people get upset in the drive through. Uh, let me ask you another question in relationship to this, because there's oftentimes also another failure. We we're talking today largely about the transition from the previous leader to the next leader, but let's let's not forget. We'd be reminisce if we we did not also address what happens to the previous leader. I think one of the saddest things in the world to see a man of God who has spent years in seminary, years in pulpit, his heart, his mind is filled with wisdom and knowledge and expertise. And we say at some point, okay, you're done. Thank you very much. Here's your gold watch. We had a big dinner for you. And now time for you and sister so-and-so to go off. Here's a little stipend. Enjoy your retirement. And that man gets up on the first Sunday morning he doesn't know where to go to church, doesn't know what to do, doesn't have to be anywhere, doesn't have a sermon to preach. 
he is completely lost. And we say, we've essentially put all that you've given to the kingdom and all the experience and richness that's there of that of that knowledge and just kind of send it out to pasture. Do we have to do a better job? And I'm not suggesting pastors are saying, what do you tell me, I'll work till I drop dead? No. But you have to have something that you, we all talk about what we retire from. You have to have something that you retire to. Right. Does the church need to do a better job at providing a place where a pastor who is leaving can be able to use some of those skills, and I'm thinking maybe, and not necessarily in the same church, but maybe even afford some of his experience to a younger pastor to help mentor that pastor. Oh, yeah. Well, I would love to have an experienced pastor to come alongside and, uh, and, and help. Matter of fact, a lot of the pastors that I know in the community who have retired, I have them come by from time to time um, and teach my leadership team. Um, so, uh, because I know they offer quite a bit because they have the experience. I have them preach my anniversary services. Um, I have them to, um, uh, I'll come have a cup of coffee with them. I'll kind of bounce ideas off of them. Um, they can be used, uh, in like in convention work, workshops, uh, and watch this, a seminary. Uh, a friend of mine, he teaches in, uh, Tacoma. Could have retired years ago. Matter of fact, he did. He's quote-unquote retired. However, he takes his time, and he still goes and he teaches on certain subjects. This is something he loves to do. Um, he still have a lot of teaching in him, a lot of preaching still in him. And as a result of that, he gets opportunities to go other places and do other things uh, as far as preaching is concerned. So, But we have to be intentional about that. Um, and this is why I would say for the, a lot of young pastors should take advantage of the fact that a lot of, uh, of pastors who we probably have known growing up or in the community who we have since retired, take an opportunity and call them to help you out. Um, they, they're perfect for times you've got to take some time off. Uh, we as pastors need to be intentional about taking time off. And that's one of the things that we don't do. Everybody else do it. Do you also have to be cautious, though, in the sense, and I've seen this happen, too, where it kind of backfires, that as the, the, the intentional effort at transition has taken place, and now pastor has stepped down, the new pastor's taking over, it's his very first Sunday, and the old pastor and his wife show up and sit in the back pew. Now they say, well, wait a minute now. We started this church. This is our church family. This is the only church we've ever known for the last 40 years. Of course we're here. We want to be here to support pastor. All of the intention being beautiful. Oh, yeah. But the the side byproduct, the unintentional byproduct is everybody turns around and recognizes, oh, there's pastor there. Everybody's thinking as the new guy's delivering the sermon, well, that's not the way your pastor so-and-so would do, and he's standing just in the back. And now suddenly the new pastor is living under the shadow of the old pastor, and the old pastor casts a really long shadow because he's still physically in the building. Mm -hmm. Does a pastor have to be sensitive about that and say, you know what, we need the new guy to have room to breathe? Craig, one of the best things that uh, my predecessor did for me is that he told me, he said, um, now uh, that now you, that you're here, uh, I'm going to take some time away. I'm still going to go to church, uh, but I'm not coming here. He says, I'm going to give you some time. And, um, and he stayed away intentionally. Uh, but watch this. But yet he would come by and visit me at the office from time to time. If I called him, he'd be right there. Um, but he stayed away, and he stayed away because he knew that he needed to be out of sight so they could look at the new pastor. This is a man that had tremendous, almost rarefied air vision, didn't he? I mean, here's a man that really deeply understood the way that you have to nurture this transitional. I didn't even understand it. I thought it would have probably been better for him to kind of been around. He almost hoodwinked you into it from the way you're telling me. (laughs) 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 He almost passed out sitting down. (laughs) You know, know, but I'm saying, God, I think, you know, matter of fact, I don't think I know. God was setting it up so that later I could do the research and be more intentional about it because we are terrible at transition in – um, the denomination that I'm a part of, our church is a Baptist church. Um, and, but this is not only exclusive to the Baptist church. Uh, I've done the research, and statistically, 
that over 70% of churches in transition go to court. Wow. It doesn't make any sense. Wow. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're arguing over the vote. And and the uh, uh, when you go into litigation uh, with a court case, number one, the courts don't want anything to do with who came in as the pastor. No, they don't want to get in the middle no. of that. So it takes about two to three years uh, before they unravel that. Can you imagine the amount of money that is spent in a couple of years? And, you know, I'm thinking of Scripture, you know, that the church is going to settle its dispute <laughs> before pagans. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but it a, goes back full circle, Dr. Hawkins, to the very point of our conversation and your book, and that is absent proper understanding of the God-honoring fashion yes. in which he demands yes. that we transition. That's right. Then court makes perfect sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. But no. it's sad. It's, it's really it's, sad. Yeah, it's because we're looking at this transfer or this transition in leadership as the world sees it instead of looking at it as how God sees it. Yeah, this is the house of God, not yeah. a Fortune 500 company. Right, right. And that's why we have to be careful in how we approach this. But you got to understand that too often we let people uh, operate in leadership who might not be spiritually minded mm-hmm. at all. And oftentimes we look for the person uh, who who's a, a great in giving uh, to the projects or programs uh, sadly to say, some people will give to a project or program or scholarship, uh, but they won't tithe uh, or they won't uh, be uh, consistent in their offering or even they won't come to Bible study. They'll come for an annual event or come if their name is going to be on a brick, but they're not going to come just to grow in the Lord. Well, and, and it's a mistake oftentimes to think that somebody who's successful at leading a corporation uh, or is a successful entrepreneur is going to be the next great leader of the Board of Elders either. That's right. I mean, it, 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 again, it's attempting to try to apply worldly mm-hmm. wisdom to spiritually discern matters. Right. And, uh, you know, as our time is winding out, I, I wish we had eight hours to discuss this. Um, I, I'm going to suspect that folks are going to be clamoring for copies of your book. And let me just say this to you. Um, if your church is going through a transition right now, if you are someone who has an interim pastor, I'm doing the air quotes here, uh, you need to get a copy of this book. Oh, yes. If you are a member of a congregation, if you're in the pulpit committee, if you're a member of the board of deacons, just one of the folks in the pews, and you know pastor is talking about retiring, or you know he's getting to the age where it's going to happen someday, you need to get a copy of this book. If you're a pastor and you know you're reaching the point where um, you're getting tired and you feel as if it's time for the next generation to come in and take over and you're not sure what that process ought to look like, and you've been terrified by some of the things you've heard heard in the conversation today, you need to get a copy of this book, as I suggested in my opening remarks. It really be, ought to be mandatory reading for every pastor um, that is getting ordained into ministry. You learn how to start a church, how to plant a church, how to lead a church, how to grow a church. You never learn how to transition a church. And uh, that's sad, because when you find out 70% of them wind up yeah, in, settling disputes before court. a judge, yes. that's very sad statement um, and, and one that I know must terribly grieve the heart of the Lord. The yes. book is called The Empty Pulpit, Shifting Leadership for Greatness. And Dr. Hawkins, quickly before you go, a word about where they can get a copy of the book. Well, it's a f- quite a few ways. You can get it from our church, or it is on Amazon. Amazon, okay, the <laughs> usual suspects, yeah, all right. Um, and folks can get more information, by the way, about the book and your ministry, Bible Fellowship MBC. Think of uh, Missionary Baptist, right? Yes. BibleFellowshipMBC.org. Tell us where you meet in service times. Well, we have two services. We have a service at 8 a.m. Uh, every Sunday morning. Um, we also have another one at 1130 um, every Sunday, we have two Bible studies. We have a 12 noon Bible study every Wednesday, and we also have a 7 p.m. Bible study every Wednesday. And so um, 
we certainly would uh, love to have you come by. It's a great church, um, and uh, we are a, a loving, Bible-believing congregation. We just we just love the Word. So if you're new to the Bay Area or looking for a new church home, we invite you to check out uh, Bible Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, located at 1528th Avenue in Oakland. Again, information on the web at BibleFellowshipMBC.org. That's BibleFellowshipMBC.org. I'll mention, by the way, say, gee, Dr. Hawkins, I recognize his voice. He's sort of the uh, the Paul Harvey of Christian radio. Uh, you hear his commentaries throughout the broadcast day here on KFAX, and we always appreciate uh, both your humor and your insights, Pastor. Thank you. So thank, thank you. you for dropping by. Excellent book. Go out and get a copy, again, through Amazon.com, or you can order it through the website BibleFellowshipMBC.org. You come out and talk to churches if they say, you know what, we're in a world hurt right I'll now. Look, can you I'll give us a little it. counseling? Yes, I, actually, I do that, um, and you know, probably I'm, should have asked you that before we come oh, on the yeah. air. But oh, yeah. now that I've obligated oh, no. you, <laughs> oh no, oh no, oh I've, no, I've I've done it, and I, I still do it. My passion is is uh, is leadership, um, and uh, as a matter of fact, um, I know that it's a really it's a real challenge for uh, committees to come together uh, to deal with uh, the subject of of a pastoral search. And um, and so I will be more than happy to help you in any way that I can. Uh, you can give us a call. We can schedule a meeting. You can come to us. Well, I'll come to you. But um, it is it is my desire not to uh, hear that the pulpit is empty. Yeah. Uh, because God's people uh, need a shepherd to feed them. And uh, and God, watch this. There is no shortage. Hey, get this, Greg. There is no shortage of preachers. There's no shortage of preachers at all. The problem is that um, there's a lot of people who don't understand what it means to really pastor, nor do they understand. Uh, then the other side of that, a lot of people don't understand the difference between one who can preach and one who can pastor. Mm. Good insights from Dr. <laughs> Timothy Hawkins. The book, okay. The Empty Pulpit, available on the web at BibleFellowshipMBC.com. Dot O-R-G. All right, we're way late, so we're going to get caught up here, get you a look at some traffic and the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 